Dr. Rex Edwards, who preached here last Sabbath, is a very special friend of this ministry. He is a gentleman and a scholar. He's a preacher's preacher. He talked to me yesterday and he said, give my love to those wonderful members of your church. He's also the vice president of Griggs University has his doctorate from Vanderbilt University and uh, we appreciate him ever so much. He's come with us to Russia and Ukraine on many different occasions. He has seen what goes on there, not just as an academic and an armchair theologian, but as a person who was seen with his own eyes. He wrote a wonderful article for the church paper, The Adventist Review, entitled Odessa for God. The front page of the review had a picture of a great Russian church. And inside, Dr. Edwards told the story, the partial story of the Odessa campaign. He told about all the people who had come to the meetings and the people who had found God. A well-meaning man has written a letter to the editor and has somewhat discouraged the people of God from supporting evangelism in Ukraine and says that he thinks that people who go there must be really very arrogant. Why should we take these people Christ when they already have Christ through the Orthodox Church. Today, for my friends and my supporters, I want to give a reply. This should not be misconstrued as a negative response to this man who has written, I believe, with sincerity but I really don't think he knows what he's talking about. Let me tell you something. The people in that part of the world, the 290 million of them, are a people largely without God or hope in the world. I'm not talking as an ap academic who is simply writing some articles and sounding off I speak as one who has been there 26 times and has spoken face to face with more than 3 million Russians and Ukrainians. The Orthodox Church, we love the members of the Russian Orthodox Church and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. But did you know that church forbids the people to read the Bible. Did you know this? How can you know the gospel if you can't even read the Bible? A lady who was baptized during the Odessa campaign came to us and said, I went and saw my priest and I said, I'm going to the meetings in the palace of sport. There is a foreigner there. He said, those meetings are under the curse of God. 
She said, why are those meetings under the curse of God? Because they are giving people Bibles. Many people in this part of the world do really not know the true situation there. Did you know what organization is the greatest importer of alcohol and tobacco products into the former Soviet Union? Would you like to know? It is the Orthodox Church. Would you like to know the organization that persecutes Protestants and Roman Catholics? It is the Orthodox Church. I've had the privilege of baptizing more than 15,500 Russians and Ukrainians, thousands of members of the Communist Party and thousands of members of the Orthodox Church. How did I find them? In darkness. Not long ago we baptized the leader in Nizhny Novgorod, one of the leading priests of the Orthodox Church. He was baptized after he had been the leader of a group of people who went to meetings such as ours to break them up. He said, I was sent by the church to persecute and to destroy. I want to say to my friends and my supporters, do not believe these reports that are written by well-intentioned but ignorant people. Those of you who've been with me, and I've taken hundreds of you with me to Russia and Ukraine, have seen, you have felt the spiritual darkness, you've seen the oppression, and you have seen the wonderful change that takes place when Christ is brought to these people. That is why we are publishing tens of thousands of copies of this book, Amazing Discoveries, that deals with the great message of the three angels as found in our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Please stand with us. Soon I'm going to go back to that land, back to Krasnoyarsk, where we expect persecution. But we are going there because Jesus told us to. Our Lord said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That includes Russia. That includes Ukraine. I beseech you, Stand with us in this great work. And God bless you. I have here today a copy of the world's foremost evangelical magazine. It's, of course, Christianity Today. It has a copy, the front says, the blessed evangelical Mary. But that's not what I want to talk to you about. I want to um, just quote something out of an article here written by Charles Colson. He says this, just as there seem to be encouraging signs in the culture, there are also signs that the church is 
dumbing down. Moving from a word-driven message to an image and emotion-driven message. Notice how many Christian radio stations have recently converted from talk and preaching to all music. The leader of the dumbing down movement in religion is America. America is spreading it throughout the world. And in the eyes of unbelievers, Christianity too often is a vast group of people listening and watching a religious entertainer who is a multi-millionaire who knows very little about theology but a lot about jokes. So often when you turn on television, you will see a super slick salesman and a vast audience laughing and being entertained by a man who now and then will quote the Bible. This is called the dumbing down of religion, where religion is dumbed down to the lowest common denominator. And the people become so deceived that they will believe anything and everything. In fact, they'll even believe the movie and the books left behind. Even though the people who put out that stuff said, this is fiction. But if you go into a religious bookstore, this is the gospel truth. This dumbing down of religion, which is so prevalent today in this great land of the United States, has not been restricted to the United States. It has certainly spread around the world and has spread also to Australia, where Dr. Edwards tells me many people who go to church now are debating the doctrine of the Trinity. I said to Rex, I don't believe this. I thought the church settled that about 1500, 16, 17, 1800 years ago. He said, no, people now are debating whether Jesus is God. I said, why? Well, he said something like this. People today, especially in Australia, and certainly in California, say all religions are the same. And if you think your religion is better than somebody else's religion, and if you say it, you are a dreadful bigot. Because we're all the same. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, Christians, they're all different roads to God. And not one, they say, is really different to God 
the other. This, of course, is the idea of the liberals. The church today is being packed with liberals. And the liberals say, well, you can't believe the Bible. Well, it's, it's, it's a wonderful book. It's the best we've got. But you can't really believe it. And how can we be dogmatic about anything? Well, the Bible is quite dogmatic about some things. Let me tell you some great truths today. Today, I'm going to talk about the Blessed Trinity. In the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, you have the famous words, Hero Israel, the Lord, our God is one. So I believe in monotheism. I believe that there is only one God. This is the teaching of Scripture. But in Scripture, three persons are recognized as God. I believe in tripersonality, not tritheism. The Bible teaches tripersonality, three different personalities, each called God. It doesn't teach that there are three gods. We do not believe in polytheism, we believe in monotheism. The Bible teaches that there is a person called the Father, there is a person called the Son, there is a person called the Holy Spirit, and they are equal. This doctrine is incomprehensible, yet not self-contradictory. Now, some folks are probably going to say, after they've heard this meeting, or even at this stage, I do not understand this idea of the Trinity. If you ask me, do you understand the doctrine of the Trinity, I will be the first to say, no, I do not. But I do not understand the universe. The best thing that they've ever done in the space program is get the Hubble up there. The Hubble has completely revised our thinking of the universe. I do not understand the universe. I do not understand all of this dark matter that composes more than 99% of the universe. I do not understand any of this. I do not understand black holes or quasars, but I know it is true because we can see it with our own eyes. So this doctrine is incomprehensible and yet not contradictory to logic or to reason. The Bible teaches the doctrine that there is a being who is called in Scripture the Father. Would you please turn to John chapter 6 and verse 27 to the words of Jesus. John chapter 6 and verse 27. And Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Nobody disputes this truth that God has called the Father. The term Father, to me, 
is a beautiful term. When I think of my father, who died some 18 years ago, I think with warm affection. When I think of father, I think of home, the provider, the defender, the protector, and I think of his love. Whenever I go back to Australia, I make a pilgrimage to the house where I was brought up. It's at Belimber on the Brisbane River. It still looks exactly the same. The same frangipani tree is growing in the front yard. I always go and pick a frangipani and say, hi. There is the same veranda. When I was brought up, I think we were poor. We didn't seem to think we were poor, but now I think we must have been poor. We only had one motor car. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but we were poor. When my mother got my father's wages, she would go through carefully each week how we were going to pay the bills. Often there didn't seem to be enough money. And there is the veranda where I slept as a little boy. It is in my mind that one night there came a tremendous storm. The old house was shaking and my father came out and got into bed with me on the veranda and put his arm around me so I wouldn't be frightened. When I think of father, I have warm thoughts. God is our father. What is he like? Many people have the idea that God is an angry judge. Many people in our own church are scared of the concept of judgment because God is watching over their shoulder waiting to get them. What is God like? Well, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was warm, and kind, and happy, unchurchy, non-religious by the standards of today. Jesus was not a religious person by the standards of today. Jesus was a nice person. And Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God so loved the world. So God loves the world. I discovered a text last night. I want you to notice that Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 17 and 18. We go back to the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. So God is a, God the Father is a very kind, nice person. I want you to know something today that's important at this stage. Our concept of God determines our behavior. 
if you've been brought up in a harsh, legalistic home, and many of us were, you may be scarred for life until you can become reconciled to the truth that God is not judgmental like your parents. God is warm. Our concept of God drives our behavior. It almost determines our behavior. There are people in the world today who are the followers of, quote, God, unquote. They shout God. They say God is great, God is great, who engage in acts of mayhem and murder, who murder and torture innocent civilians, all in the name of God. Their God is not my God. Their rock is not our rock. Their God is a terrorist. But the God who is called the Father is a very kind person. People say the church, the Christian church, carried out the Inquisition. Oh, my friend, that wasn't the Christian church. That was the most unchristian organization the world has ever seen. Their rock is not our rock. So there is a person called the Father. All of us agree that he is divine, self-existent. Does anybody understand that? Goodness me. Self-existent? Nobody started him? Well, if anybody had started him, he would be God. But God has no beginning. I can understand God having no ending, but he has no beginning. The Hubble telescope has shown, they can see it with their eyes, that the universe is incomprehensibly old. Incomprehensibly old. God made it. He was there before it was made, but he was not lonely because the Bible teaches a trinity. And the Bible teaches that there is a second person who was called the Son, and in Scripture he too is called God. Now would you come to John chapter 1, and we're going to do just a little bit of theology. John chapter 1 and verse 1. John chapter 1 and verse 1, my dear friends. John chapter 1 and verse 1. This is probably the greatest book ever written in the history of the world, John. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you. The Greek says this. Looked it up last night. The Greek says this. Theos ein ha logos. Theos, there is the predicate, but it is put before the verb for emphasis. Theos, that's God. Ein was ha, the logos, the word. The word was God. Now listen carefully to this. In the Greek, 
There is no ha, the, before theos. That's important. Our friends, the Jehovah Witnesses, have put out what is called a translation, the New World Translation, and it says, because there is no no thee, it should be translated, and the word was a God. So you can read that in the translation of our friends, the Jehovah Witnesses. The word was a God. But they write this because they do not understand the Greek language. When it says that the word was God without the thee, it means that he was of the same nature. And therefore other translations say the word was divine. It doesn't say that Jesus was the God because that would be wrong. It doesn't say he was the God. It says he was God because he partakes of the same essence as the Father. We here have one thing mainly in common. What is it? We are human beings. We are anthropos. You are not the anthropos. You are anthropos. Your nature is man or woman. And when it says the word was God, it means that the word had the very essence of God. So Jesus was never, never, never created. If you go back before the Big Bang, if you go back before 13,000 million years, he was there and there was never a time in the universe when he was not there. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. While you're there, look at John chapter 1 and verse 18. John chapter 1 and verse 18. The Bible says... No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is speaking of Jesus. God, the one and only. Now, let me tell you, I don't usually do this, but seeing I passed Greek at college, I should at least use it on such a, uh, an occasion. If you read this in other translations, it'll say the only begotten God. That Jesus is the only begotten God. People say, what on earth does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus was begotten, that his father was some celestial bride and the father was the father? The Greek word for only begotten Listen to this, is monogenes. What does mono mean? Only one. Genes, genetics. What does that mean? Begotten. Monogenes means only begotten. 
How is it understood, though, in the Greek world? We all know of the city of Phoenix, don't we? Not very far from here, that very hot city. Where wonderful people live in the city of Phoenix. Phoenix is named after a bird. And the phoenix bird was famous in Greek mythology. The phoenix bird died and came to life again. And therefore the Greeks called the phoenix bird the monogenes. Why? The only one of its kind. Monogenes means the only one of its kind. Isaac is called the only begotten son of Abraham, but he had a brother. So what does it mean? Isaac was the only one of his kind. The text tells me here that Jesus is the monogamous God, or as it says in the New International Version correctly, the one and only. And so Jesus is called Almighty God. Now, I'm going to get you to use your memories because I've spoken on this on other occasions. Remember when Jesus was having a dispute with the Jews? And Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Remember that story? The Jews said, who do you think you are? You're not even 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Then Jesus said, before Abraham was, say it with me, I am. He didn't say I was. And the Jews who understood what he was talking about took up stones to stone him. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. No wonder they got mad. This takes us back, as you know, to the days of Moses. You remember the story of the burning bush? Here is Moses, the man of God, and he meets the God who would become a man. And Moses says, if you tell me to go, they're going to ask your name. What is your name? They're going to say, tell me your name. And God said, I will tell you my name. I am that I am. And if you look in the margin there, it says, from this expression, I am that I am, came the tetragrammaton, the word that we whisper. The Jewish people have so much respect for this name that they do not utter it. They write instead Adonai, but they do not utter this word. It is the word Yahweh. So from the expression, I am that I am, came the unspeakable word. Yahweh. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am Yahweh. Those words 
spoken by any man would have been blasphemy, deserving of instant death. You can trace this all the way through the New Testament and especially when you come to the book of Hebrews whom we believe was written by Paul. Would you come over here to Hebrews chapter 1. The book of Hebrews, of course, written to Hebrews, written to the Jewish people by a Jew. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. Hebrews 1. Let us start, shall we, at verse 3 and 6. Hebrews 1, verse 3 and 6. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The Bible says he is the exact representation but if you come down to verse 6 it takes it further and again when God brings his firstborn into the world he says let all God's angels worship him when Jesus is born into this world the angels worship him now my friend if he is not God The angels are committing a terrible sin because the Bible says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. If you worship an angel, you are committing blasphemy and the sin of idolatry. But when Jesus is born, the angels bow down and they worship him. And if you read on further, you'll see why. Verse 8, but about the Son, he, God says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. There, God the Father turns to his Son and says, and you, O God, have a throne. But the Father goes even further. Verse 10, he, God, also says of Jesus, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. Listen carefully to this. Look at me. You don't need to look it up until you get home. This is a direct quotation from Psalm 102. Thou, O Lord, made the heavens and the earth, and the heavens are the works of your fingers. Thou, O Lord. When you read it in Psalm 102, the word Lord there is Yahweh. And so in the book, of Hebrews. Firstly, he is the exact representation of the Father. Number two, the angels fall down and they worship him. Number three, the Father calls him God. And number four, the Father calls him Yahweh, the creator of 
the universe. Jesus is not just a prophet. He is not just a good, sinless man. He is not a mighty angel. He is almighty God. The world, religious and secular, cannot comprehend the truth that the God who made the stars, who was there from all eternity, loved us so much that he wanted to have a personal relationship with us. A personal God with a personal relationship and he comes down and he tabernacles for nine months in the womb of a girl by the name of Mary. And when he is born into the world, the angels are there and they worship him. They bow down and they worship. Almighty God. On one occasion he said, though my father is greater than I, and people say, well, this proves that he is not God. They forget the writings of St. Paul when he said, that he humbled himself. The Greek says he emptied himself. He voluntarily surrendered some of his powers during the incarnation so that he could understand our struggle. But then in the next breath he said, my father and I are one. And so he is. The Messiah is God incarnate. I say to my Jewish friends, and this is what your own writings say. Isaiah chapter 9 says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Can you finish it? The Mighty God, Prince of Peace. This is speaking of the Messiah. And the Jewish Old Testament says that the Messiah would be called Mighty God. I want to say to every person watching the telecast today, especially to my friend who's watching it in Iran, who was writing to us, and my friend in Saudi Arabia who was teaching in one of the Arab schools, and my friend who writes from uh, Syria, I want to say to people who are watching the telecast in my homeland of Australia. Now, listen up. I want to tell you something. There is power in the name of Jesus because Jesus is more than a man. He is God. And at the name of Jesus, the angels bow down and the evil angels tremble. Because he is king of kings and lord of lords. Did you know that if you have a confrontation with people who are spiritists as I have, you can just say the word God and they will laugh. But there is one name that drives the spiritist crazy and makes him run. Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. 
because Jesus is the Son of God. And in the words of the great old hymn, all hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. He is the monogonese, the one and only. Now in the scriptures, there is a third person, distinct and unique, his own person. And he is called the Holy Spirit. And we should take his words with great reverence upon our lips. Come with me to Matthew 28 and verse 19, to the words of Jesus when he gives to the church the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the names. Does it say the names? Answer me. What does it say? The name, the name, the singular. In the name, we are monotheists. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here, the Holy Spirit as a person is linked to the Father and to the Son. The Holy Spirit is as much a person as you are or as I am. The Holy Spirit is not a power. The Holy Spirit is not an influence. The Holy Spirit is a person. Would you come with me to Acts chapter 5? Acts chapter 5 and verses 1 and onwards. Acts chapter 5. Verses 1 and onwards. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. If you read the rest of the story it's obvious that he'd pledged the whole amount to the Lord but he got more than he had expected. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men but to God. You've not lied to men but to God. You have lied to the Holy Spirit because he is God. Ananias had a problem. His problem was not monotheism. His problem was money theism. And because money theism was his controlling force, he sold his soul And the Bible says judgment came quickly upon him and upon his wife. But this is not the theme of our talk. You've not lied unto men but to God. You've not lied unto men but by the, to the Holy Spirit. In the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is described with these words. The love of the Spirit. The fellowship of the Spirit. The mind of the Spirit. 
In the book of Romans, we are told he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit, while his nature is incomprehensible, has a mind. He knows everything. Omniscient. He was there at the creation of the world. The Spirit of God brooded on the face of the waters. He was there because God said, let us make man in our image. He didn't say, let me make man in my image. He said, let us make man in our image. The Holy Spirit is a person with a mind, the mind of God. Jesus spoke about him, John 14, 16, and 17, as a person. John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask the Father, the first person of the Godhead, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus said, I, God, the Son, will ask the Father, God the Father, and he will send another counselor, comforter, to be with you, the spirit of truth. When you sit in a meeting like this and a voice keeps talking to you to lead you to salvation, it is not my voice. It is the voice of the Spirit of God. When I was preaching in the Philippines before a vast crowd at the Filipino International Conference Center, a man was there who was a thief and a robber carrying a knife to kill one of the congregation. He wrote me the letter that said, Pastor Carter, I came here tonight to kill a man. I followed him all day, but as you spoke, a voice spoke to me. I could not get away from this voice. It is not my voice. It is the voice of God, Amen. the Holy Spirit. We can send that voice away by hardening our hearts. But he is here today. Amen. Thus we can see that the Bible teaches the doctrine of the Holy Blessed Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. God the Father gave God the Son to die for our sins. And God the Holy Spirit moves upon our hearts so that we will understand and accept the gospel, the message of, of salvation. How amazing to think that God the Father gave God the Son. And God the Son in a human body Affected by sin, but not infected with sin. In him is no sin. 
that on the cross the sin of the world was laid upon the Son of God and the Son of Man. And Jesus, the man, died upon the cross. And when he arose from the dead, he arose from the dead at the voice of the Father by the power that was within himself. I lay down my life, I have power to take it again. Because he is God. Great is the mystery of our religion. This is God's true religion. It is acceptance of the truth of the blessed Trinity that brings eternal life, hope, peace, love, and forgiveness. This truth elevates and ennobles. We do not merely respect Jesus. We worship him. He is our Lord and our God. We are monotheists. We believe in one God. We are not polytheists. We believe in one essence. One God ahead. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. Some years ago, while I was still in Australia, I ran a big campaign in Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea. What a depraved part of the world that used to be, still is to a certain extent. The natives were cannibals. When their loved ones died, they would dig up their relatives and eat them. That's how we discovered about mad cow's disease, cannibalism. They were spirit worshippers. They had their spirit houses. I have been to them where the skulls will talk. I have friends who have been there who have actually seen the demons materialize. A fierce, warlike people. A people who had one pleasure. You know what it was? The killing of their neighbors so they could eat them. And then men like Pastor J.B. Keith, a great saint of God, great Australian, with his family went to Papua New Guinea and many, many others. That was our territory. And Pastor Keith went there for one reason, to preach the gospel. He tells a story, he told Beverly and me the story as he came with his team over this, the side of a mountain. There confronting him with thousands of warriors who'd never seen a white man before with bows and arrows ready for their blood. And Pastor Keith had a man who knew their tongue. Pastor Keith started immediately to tell them the story of the love of God. Can you imagine this? Thousands of cannibals ready to tear your heart out. He tells them the story of the love of God and how God's son became a man. Then the big chief ran out from the crowd of his warriors, grabbed Pastor Keith and picked him up and ran away with him. The bows were being twanged and they thought this was the end. Then when the translator caught up, the man said, we cannot let you go. 
Because as you told the story of the son of God who became a man, it touched me here. I traveled up with some of our missionaries, which is a good word. People with a mission. Travel up the Owen Stanley track where our soldiers turn back the Japanese in hand-to-hand fighting with bayonets. Broke the back of the Japanese army on the Owen Stanley track. And as I went up there, I passed villages that were filthy where the women still suckle the pigs. Covered in leprosy, filthy, dirty, stinking And then I came to other villages which were clean and the people were smiling and they were happy. And Chester Stanley, my dear friend, who was the president of the church in Australia, said, look at their faces and tell the skeptics and the cynics, the armchair theologians who sit and who scoff and who've never done anything for anybody in all their lives. Tell them the story of the faces, the happy faces, the smiling faces. Those little villages all have a church because they accepted Christ. That's what the preaching of the gospel does. I ask you today to do this, to believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. To believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Believe. Why will you perish? Why will you go down into Christless graves loaded with shame and infamy and skepticism? Believe. Believe. And allow the Holy Spirit to touch your heart because the death of Christ is of no avail unless the third person of the Godhead applies the balm of Gilead to our wounds and our sores. I present before you today with confidence but due humility, the truth of the one true God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, glory be to God. Amen. Amen.